For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for a, a denarius a day, that's just kind of the standard price at the time, by the way, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, so they went going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, he did the same. So he goes to the market, ends up being about four times, and gathers all of these people in, just if you're keeping track. Four times he goes and finds people and hires them. About the eleventh hour, he then goes one more time, and he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand idle all day? You probably wonder the same thing sometimes driving through town, right? What are you doing just standing there? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, well, then you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. And that's you. You see it in the story, too, right? That's when people start going, well, no, wait, wait a minute. What now? These people who showed up at the 11th hour, not the first hour, got the same pay as the people who showed up at the first hour. What would be your reaction? Well, what was theirs? When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, right? That's what they thought. Well, if he's paying them what he promised us, man, this is going to be good. Well, but each of them also received a denarius. And what would you have said if you were six years old? That's not fair. And on receiving it, that's what they said. They grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We're going to come back to that. I hope you notice some wording there. It's kind of interesting the way Jesus chose to word that. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give the last worker as I gave to you or I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose and with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, Jesus says, and the first will be last. Okay, this is not a hard one to figure out in certain ways, right? There are certain parts of this story that I think we get. One of the things that I think we get first is their reaction. It makes sense. As I mentioned, from six years old and younger, we already know, hey, we're all, if we get the same thing or we're promised the same thing, then, then what are we supposed to get? The same thing. Well, isn't that what happened? Yes, actually. He promised them all. The same thing. He didn't tell them all that the other ones were promised the same thing, but they were all promised the same thing. But we would make the same assumption that these guys made. And their assumption was, well, I know he told us he was going to pay us a denarius, but if he's paying the later guys so much, that means there's got to be a there's a bonus in this sort of a thing. And it kind of starts to feel a little bit like what happened when uh, I was in junior high, a science class. I had a science teacher, a seventh grade, I believe, and she liked to grade sometimes on a curve. There was good reason for this. We had a couple of people in our class, 
good people, but, you know, some of them were two-watt bulbs. Now, they weren't really made by God to be two-watt bulbs. They just, you know, they never turned their rheostat all the way up. You know what a rheostat is, the ones where you can adjust the switch? They always had that set to low. And so they had the potential, but they weren't using it. That's what I'm saying. So uh, she would she would really go out of her way to try and give these kids a boost. Well, she would do that by a curve so that those kids that actually were working hard would also get a benefit. That was her generosity to do, right? The problem was she never would adjust the top end of the grades. So you might work really hard and then it's graded on it. Let's say you've got a 95 in the highest grade in the class. So then she gives a five-point curve to get that person up to 100. She's not going to give any higher than that. So... You don't get, you get a five point thing, but you also had bonus questions. Remember one time there was a five, there was a curve that was about five points. And then there were bonus questions on top of that. There were 30 points in bonus questions. 30 points. That day, I, actually, I made a 90, I must have made a 95 because the curve was five points and I made 130 on that quiz. The person she was trying to help at the back of the room, that poor girl, uh, she, she was a girl who was born with a silver spoon in her mouth and, and just, you know, just didn't really apply herself to very much except to the cosmetics section. You know, it was the 80s. And so she lived out at the country club and was counting on her dad making sure she stayed at the country club after graduation, I think. And so she wasn't applying herself. And that poor girl only got the bonus questions and made a 30. So that was all she got was a 30. But I didn't get 130. I got 100. I had 30 extra wasted points. Well, I didn't like that. Do you, would you like that? If that was, you want that 30 to come up, you know, apply that to the day I didn't get 130. Let's move that over somewhere so that it benefits everybody. That's the way we would feel, especially if you had actually done your homework and you had actually done fairly well on the test and you got the bonus questions. This feels like a conversation I just had with students in Cambodia on a day where we had a bonus, by the way. Uh, but it, that's, that's what you would think. Because, ultimately, we always look at all these things through the lens of what? Well, how does that affect me? That's part of the problem, isn't it? We always look at things through the lens of, well, but what about me? What about me? What about me? It's just like the little birds on Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 right? And so that's how we look at it. These guys got everything they were promised. They had done their job. He had kept his word. They got what they were promised. The contract was kept. So what did they have to complain about? And even now, in our heads, knowing what Jesus said, we go, well, well they didn't get, they didn't get, they didn't get. Yes, they did. Everything they were promised. Hmm. But still, does that feel satisfying to you? It doesn't feel satisfying, does it? It still feels like, but, I'm just curious. Uh, I won't take a poll or anything, but I am curious who you identify with in the story. Uh, obviously, uh, the, my first inclination would be to identify with the people who showed up at one of the earlier hours. And not just the first ones. You know, really, the guys who showed up at the third hour might have felt the same way about the 11th hour guys. The guys at the, at the fifth hour, the sixth hour. You know, you could see how they too would say, well, I might not be owed as much as the guy that came first, but I ought to get more than the guy who came last. So there's that too. And that feels very human and familiar, doesn't it? That's kind of the way we, we would see that. So I wonder who you identify with. You might identify with the vineyard owner. 
hey, I run this business, I'll run it the way I want to. What's your problem? Was the master right when he asked that question? And I don't mean Sunday school answer. Your Sunday, well, yes, because it's Jesus, so he's right. And that's not what I'm talking about. Wouldn't you think that the master was right? It's his business. It's both his business, like his business, and it's, it's his, as my, as my vice principal in high school, it's his business. That's his business. You let him mind his business. You mind your business. That's his business, right? And so, that's his. What, who do you get to tell how he runs his business? And so there's actually a principle there, and maybe some of you have been in that position, and maybe you identify with him and say, that's right. If I, if I know that somebody, that one of my workers is struggling, I might find a way to give them a few more hours. I might find a way to give them some more overtime. I might even just help them out and not tell everybody else. I might do that. Some of you may have benefited from having a boss who was generous in that way. It happens, Right? And isn't that their, I mean, that's, that's their prerogative. They can do that if they want to. It's a common sense question with a common sense answer, I think. Not real hard to figure out theologically on that one. And maybe you would like to identify with the late workers. You might be saying right now, you know what? That sounds like some kind of Jesus communism. I might want me some of that. It's not, okay? Jesus is not preaching some kind of Christian communism. And you're saying, well, I, I want one of them jobs where I show up at the 11th hour and get the bonus. Give me one of those. Everybody would like one of those. I mean, if we're honest and human, and we're both, right? You might say, hey, that sounds great. Now, I think we can look at history where they've tried it and say, that doesn't work so well. Because everybody decides to be the 11th hour worker. Everybody. Now, that's the way it worked in Russia. That's the way it works in Cuba. Uh, everybody just wants to be the 11th hour guy. And it's not a functional system. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not teaching an economics class, is he? So what's he teaching? That's the question, isn't it? The big one is, really, so what does Jesus want us to understand? I mentioned that at the beginning of the thing about parables. One of the questions we ask ourselves is, not just, you know, what do I think about it? We ask ourselves, what did Jesus want us to get. And the most obvious thing is the, the sentence at the end, right? Which was buried in the parable too. Did you get the hint of it in the parable? He pays them in that order as well. He paid them last and then first. Not the other way around. We would think he would pay the guys who showed up first first. But he didn't. He made them wait at the back of the line. Those who are first shall be last and the last shall be first. We know that's what he wants us to get. What we need to understand is, what's, what's that actually mean? Does that mean I go to the potluck? I stand at the back so that I can be extra holy? Is that the deal? I'm a real faithful Christian. I always make sure that, that I go to the back of the line. Is that, is that what he's saying? I mean, that might be a practical application. Where Yeah, let other people go in front of you. That probably is a little bit of a principle uh, there. But is that, is that all that he's talking about? Or, or is there more? Okay, one of the things that we look at is context. And uh, I'm just going to put this up here and you can look those up. Uh, he has, not that long before this, dealt with the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler comes to him and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, Go sell all that you have and give what you're profited to the poor and then come follow me. And we focus a lot on the sell all that you have and give that to the poor as a, and then kind of misinterpret that as you, you gain eternal life. You earn your keep by giving your stuff away to the poor. No, we're supposed to take care of the poor. But he wasn't going to earn 
eternal life that way, was he? The answer to his question is the second part. Come, follow me. The first instruction is, let's get rid of the anchors that hold you back from doing what I want you to do. Come, follow me. He was trying to get him to cut anchor, and he wouldn't do it. Okay? That's just happened. But his attitude in this context was still, I've got I to gotta earn this, I've got to get it right, I've got to do this, and I've got I've a list I need to check off, and if I can just accomplish this. And he was a good, faithful Jew. He said, I've kept all these things since I was a kid. And it, he, apparently he really was that faithful because Jesus is impressed by the man. He didn't say, no, you haven't. You've been a heathen. He doesn't say that. So he must have been a pretty faithful guy. And he's thinking in his head. I've been with God a long time. I've done a lot of good. I ought to be up somewhere toward the front of that line by now, shouldn't I? The first shall be last. Think about it in context with that guy for a second. So that's the prequel. The prequel is the rich young ruler. The sequel is the conversation that James and John's mother has with Jesus about, Jesus, let me ask you a favor. When you come into your glory, when you come into your kingdom, could you please promise me that my sons will sit at your right and at your left? Power, position, prominence. What's that request but a... My kids have been with you the longest. They, they were the first, among the first that you called. Can you give them the first position in racing? And, a, and my kids ought to have the pole position. They got a head start. Mm. Now put that back with this parable. That's what surrounds it. A man who is trying to earn his credit with God. A mother who is trying to ensure her kids have the most prominent position in the kingdom of God for eternity. And Jesus teaches his disciples a lesson about humility, putting other people first, and leaving it up to the Lord how people will be rewarded and how people in the kingdom of God are of equal worth, equal value, loved and rewarded equally. Because of where that worth, value, and reward actually come from. The guys who worked, who were upset, who come to the master and say, Hey, that's no fair. They just got here. I've been here all day. I would have been here later if I had just known. Does that not reveal a little bit? Because we feel that way, right? Well, I'd have shown up later too. So you're saying you only want to do the bare minimum to get what God is offering you? You're saying you're hoping to just skate into... Is that, what, is that what we're saying? That you would have done that if you could have? Grace is just a license to be lazy? Is that what you're saying? A lot of humans are saying that, yes, actually. That's exactly what a lot of folks say. It's how they live. They come to him and they gripe at him. His answer again is, if I want to be generous, I can be generous. What business is that is yours? I... I gave to you everything I ever promised. There's one more little contextual thing we need to get. Jesus is right at this moment preparing for the cross. As he does, he's going to go back and forth with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law. And some of the things that he's going to deal with is 
this this idea of pride. And if I, I am more righteous, I am more holy, I am more this, I am more everything because I'm a Pharisee or I'm a Sadducee or I'm a teacher or I'm a scribe. I keep the law better than them. I keep holy better than them. I keep the Sabbath better than them. Later on, even those that followed Christ from among those people would say, Book of Galatians, which is what I just got teaching, so it's on the brain. Uh, they would say to the Gentile Christians, we've been in Christ longer. We've known God longer. We've known the laws longer. We've done everything longer than you. We accept you as our brothers, but we went through some things that you haven't gone through. And so really, y'all are the Christians, but we're the Christians. Right? You're a brother, but I'm brother. Capital B, R-O, period, brother. Right? That's what they said. And they had no qualms about saying it. So much so that in Galatians, Paul writes in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and... Well, in Galatians, 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, uh, he, ha- he deals with this problem. And when he does, he has to actually rebuke. He tells a story about rebuking Peter. Peter is at Antioch. Antioch is a predominantly Gentile church. It was like the Gentile Jerusalem. And in fact, Antioch begins to overshadow Jerusalem as the missionary sending church. It becomes the more vibrant, impactful church very quickly, there were some people jealous of that. Hey, what's with these late workers showing up at the 11th hour acting like they're all that? We've been Jerusalem. We are the chosen. We are the holy. We are the, we are the, we are the. And they show up at Antioch to kind of make sure that they understand, you know, yes, we will bless the work that you do, but only when you do it our way and make sure that you realize we're capital B brothers. Before that trip, Peter had been there. Before these guys from Jerusalem show up, Peter has been there. And he's been fellowshipping with those Gentile Christians. And he's having a good time singing, worshiping, and eating with them and everything. But then when they show up, Peter literally gets up from the table. Because he's afraid of how they're going to see him having too much friendship with the Gentile Christians, the new guys. And he gets up like, is this not a junior high cafeteria event? You've sat down at the wrong table and now your more popular friends have come in and they're like, what are you doing sitting over there? You need to come over to our table, Peter. And so Peter gets up and he goes over and sits with them. Paul sees it. He gets so angry. He gets so angry. He calls out. He stands up in the middle of the dinner. Okay, you you never want an apostle to stand up and rebuke you in the middle of a dinner. He stands up in the middle of the dinner and says, Peter, what are you doing? And he actually says, he says, I told Peter, why are you discriminating against these Gentiles? You live more like them than these Jews you're sitting with in the first place. That's what he told him. Basically says, you're not even a good Jew. They wouldn't even put up with you if they knew how you were earlier in the week before they got here. What are you doing, Peter? God calls Peter to show that the Gentiles, the latecomers in the vineyard, were of equal worth of equal value, of equal blessing in the kingdom of God. That was his job. Go read about it. Acts chapter 10, 11, 12, 13. That's his job. But he forgot it. And he falls back because of the pressure of people who are griping because, hey, we were here first. Okay. So that's all context. That's 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 what happens. And, and that's what ends up happening 
in Galatia, which I bring in because it's crazy how similar an issue it is. This parable was quite literally written for those guys that he rebukes in the book of Galatians. It was the exact problem Jesus knew was coming. Okay, He knew that was coming. They deal with it in Acts 15 as well. So there are a few different lessons I want to look at. First is this, humility. Humility is not just a, uh, a thing that's nice to have when you're a Christian. Humility is fundamentals. Just like if you're playing basketball and you've got to sometimes go back to your fundamentals, humility is one of our fundamentals. You have to have it. You have to have it. Okay? So, it's not an option. It's not something nice. Must. We need to look at everything through humility. If they had looked at that payment through humility, they might have said, well, you know, they showed up later, but, man, that's pretty cool that this guy is able to do that. And chose to do that. He didn't have to do that. And I know those guys really needed it. That's humility. It's what they should have had. It's what we ought to have. Second, it teaches us that our worth is not based. This is so important, rich young ruler. Our worth is not based on our efforts. It's not based on our fruits. It's not based on any of those things. Our worth and our value in the kingdom of God is based on the heart of God. It's his generosity. It's his grace. It's his love. Why does, does Jesus love us? Because hmm? you did so much that you impressed him so much that he goes, man, that is a good brother. I think I love that guy. No. He loves you because it is his nature to love you. It's who he is. He doesn't know another way to be except to love you. That's his heart. That's why we have value. That's why we have worth. And you know, that's a good thing. Because our works can come and go. Our faithfulness sometimes waxes and wanes in its strength. We have bad days where we flub things up and just really, really blow it, right? But our worth isn't based on, Jesus, I've kept all those things since I was a boy. Our worth is based on, come follow me. I love you already. I choose you already. I have died for you already. Come. That's where we get our value. These people didn't earn a full day's work. They were blessed by the generosity of a master. We don't earn an eternity of salvation. We are blessed by the generosity of our master. Practical ways this can impact us. This attitude change that we have to have. Churches, let's do churches first. And then we'll work closer to home from there. So, if I don't get you in the first one, maybe, maybe I'll get your toes in a minute. Just watch where you put your feet and then you don't have to worry about it. Uh, churches sometimes struggle with this. Uh, and if you've ever been the new person at a church, you know churches struggle with this, right? Uh, they can get into a mindset of those who are uh, who have been there longer must by necessity be the more important people with more influence and more this and more that, right? They're the more important brothers and sisters. Is that true? Well, it's true that it happens. Is it true? Not only is it not true, it's anti-gospel. Anything anti-gospel is anti-Christ. Oh, oh, big toe. I got the big toe. That's not a Christian attitude. It's a very worldly, very human attitude. But people, there are people in every church that have it. Well, you know, I've been here 40 years. 
Good. Here's your sticker. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? You're a brother. Who can, there's no seniority in the kingdom of God. We are all saved by grace, not tenure. Right? So, what does that mean? Who cares? Every new person who comes into a congregation, every new generation that's raised up in a congregation is an important part of the kingdom of God. All of equal worth, all of equal value. That's why in Galatians 3 we have that passage that says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Because the problem that they had was they kept thinking that these categories mattered. Well, the Jewish brothers have been there longer, so obviously they have more influence. To which Paul said, No, uh uh-uh, sorry. Jesus has the influence. You're supposed to come follow him. That's it. Equal Jew and Gentile. Equal slave and free. How revolutionary was that? A master and a slave worshiping together around the table, and none of it mattered at that table, ever. Could not matter at that table. So that the master might bring, as you know, when we go, get up and go and get the communion and come back to our seats, that you could see a master go and take that cup and hand it to his slave in service. Revolutionary. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. That put into action. It's incredible. It's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And not doing it for show. Doing it because humility is his nature and his heart and his character. That's what it means. Come follow me. Look what I did. Now you guys go try it. Okay? That's how we get there. And it teaches us that that's where our worth really comes from. It's because He loves us. And He loves us all, no matter how long we've been here or how short. You baptized this afternoon, you are of equal value as a worshiper and servant in the kingdom of God in every church, in every place. Period. Period. The principle of it being His vineyard his, not ours. We can't get protectionist. That's how that often develops. You get real protectionist about your stuff, right? And you start, a friend of mine uses the phrase, they're always defending the fortress. Got to defend the fortress. I got to keep it the way I like it. I got to do it my way and we got to have it my way. And, you know, and it just, it becomes a war, us against them within the kingdom. And it can never, ever be that way. It's His kingdom. It's His generosity. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the Father's love that He has lavished on us. The Master in the vineyard paid us way more than we were worth. That he has la- how great is the love of God that He has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. All of us. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, young, old, been here Twelve decades. Has anybody been here twelve? It hadn't been you. Twelve decades uh, or been here twelve days. Doesn't matter. We are all one in Jesus Christ because God has been generous to us all. And it has more, I said I'd work it closer to home. Then it has more practical stuff. How do you deal with that when you're at work? How do you deal with that when you're in your family? What does it look like for you to be these people? Maybe you're in a position where like the master you can be more generous. Christ-like generous. Because you're the boss and you get to do that. Be creative. Do it. Maybe in your family you uh, you got to look at how you treat your kids. They're all of equal value to the Lord. Are they of equal value to mom and dad? 
Not that you always, it's not communism. It doesn't mean you always treat them the exact same way. You've got different personalities and needs and all that stuff you will do differently for your kids. But do all of your kids know that you love them? Do all of your kids know? I, I will say that I, I am blessed to be in a family where I never spent any of my growing up or adult years wringing my hands over whether or not my parents loved me. I didn't know that that was such a big gift until I met so many people who had no clue whether or not their dad loved them at all, whether or not their mother cared about them at all. You just think, of course they do. Do your kids know that of course they do? No child should die or no parent should ever die without the child knowing mom loved me, dad loved me. Do you make sure that that happens. You have a unique opportunity as a parent to be this master who blesses and finds ways to bless. And, and, and you raise your kids, teaching them about the importance of merit and earning, where merit and earning matters, but teaching them that there are places and times where grace trumps all of that and love trumps all of that. And that's in their relationship with God, but it's also in their relationship with you. Right? Marriage. Sometimes husbands and wives get, make the mistake of thinking that love within a marriage is a meritocracy. It's not what you said in your vows. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, or however you say that these days, you pledged to love regardless, didn't you? And so, sometimes your husband may be an 11th hour guy. Might he change if you love him like he showed up in the morning? Sometimes your wife might be an 11th hour woman. Might she grow from your love and encouragement if you treat her with grace as this guy did his workers? Don't you know those last hour guys did not hang out at the marketplace but showed up at the vineyard the next morning? Because grace will change it that way. Could it change your relationships? If you treat people that way with that kind of grace and that kind of love, bet it could. Bet it change everything. It's the gospel in action. Let's pray together and then we're going to have our song. If you need prayers, we invite you to come and, and ask for those prayers and we'll be glad to pray with you. If you need to put Christ on in baptism or if you need to know what that's about, we'll be glad to study with you. And we will be more than thrilled to bring you into the kingdom of God where you get all that God has promised. All. Doesn't matter what hour you showed up, ever. Let's pray.